0: Hi folks, a very quick announcement before we get started on the episode this week, and that is a huge thank you to Katie Unicorn-Stewart. I don't know if your middle name really is Unicorn, if it is, that is an awesome name. So the fabulous Katie Unicorn-Stewart gave us a recent review on Apple Podcasts about the recent Governance Summit Summary. So five stars for Take On Board, she says, loved the recent Governance Summit Summary podcasts, super useful. Katie happy to help thank you so much and thanks for taking the time to do a review so a little prompt for others that might be listening I love it when I get reviews and you might get read out on the pod as well so get in there and work out how to do ratings and reviews and let me know what you think of the pod all right on with the show Last week, you heard the incredible words of wisdom of Liz Cosson in her presentation on life and leadership lessons, really, at a recent Take On Board event. So this week, you'll be hearing the Q&A from that event. It was just too much to fit into one episode, so we cut it into two. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, I suggest you pop back there and listen to that, and then come on back for this one. Today, we'll hear all of the questions, including some we didn't get to during the event, because Liz very kindly stayed on the line. So, let's tune in now to hear what the Take On Board community and Liz have to say. On with the show. Kaching, People are back. Welcome back, folks. I can tell from the questions that are coming through that you've had some pretty amazing conversations in those breakout rooms. So, I will go through the questions in the order that they come. I'm gonna ask people to ask their own questions. If you can say your name and where you're from, whether that's your board or your day job or both, whichever you prefer, that would be great. So you get to ask your own questions. So Alex, Alex Cuthbertson, you've got the first question here. Where are you, Alex? If you wanna take yourself off mute, there you go. Introduce yourself and ask your question.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Alex Cuthbertson. My question was during Liz's discussion, she referred to the her limitations and we all, as she acknowledged that we all have limitations. And I'm sort of probably at a similar part of my board journey as Elizabeth. I'm still looking for my first board. And I think sometimes we focus too much on our limitations and let our limitations define what we're capable of achieving. So I'm interested, Liz, whether there was anything in particular that you've done or are continuing to do. To sort of overcome that and make sure that your limitations aren't defining what you're actually capable of achieving. Thanks, Alex.
2: Yeah. So certainly, I know we can often fall into that of I know I can't do this, I can't do that. But that's why when I was teasing out, I before going onto the board, I thought this is what I can do. This is what I can bring to the board. And I know one of my biggest limitations is I'm not financially literate. I know that I need to look at the financial aspects of a not-for-profit board in completely different eyes to what I used to look at my financial statements sitting in a Commonwealth department. It's very different. And I've just been speaking to my colleagues on the board and I spoke with the CFO of the organisation and said, how can you help me? What should I read that you think is a good way to get across this that is for someone who is not financially literate? And the CFO was wonderful. And he pointed me in a direction to understand the aged care funding models and all that type of thing. But just to sit down with another one of the board, she is just beautiful human. And she said to me, I'll sit with you, Liz. She chairs the Audit and Risk Committee. So she said, I'll show you what you need to know. These are sort of things. And not being afraid to acknowledge that I haven't got strength in that area. And if I do ask a stupid question, I'm actually asking it one on one with someone so that um, I don't feel so nervous raising it in the board. The other day, I did something similar. I rang one of the other board members who I knew had so much experience on this board. And I said, can you help me understand this particular aspect of what we're, we're looking at? He said, yeah, mate, no problem. He just told me the history and put it all in the context so it's not being afraid and just building those relationships Alex um and it doesn't need to be on that board that you're on or it can be on another board like this this connection this community where you make a friend and you say oh you've got heaps of experience on boards can you help me in this particular area
0: I hope that helps thank you thanks Liz if I, I can just add to that, it, it's about what I'm hearing from you is that sometimes that deficit, I'm not going to really, I'm a strength based person, so I find it hard to do that. But for example, in finance, asking the stupid question can be of huge value. So it's recognising that that different perspective and that sometimes that lack of deep knowledge is actually a value as well, particularly in the boardroom. Beautiful. Kirsten, Kirsten, where are you? You're up next. If you could, there you are. Thank you. If you could briefly introduce yourself and ask your question.
1: Thanks. Um, my name is Kirsten Kuhn. I work in the public sector. So it was really interesting hearing Liz talk about that particular sector. I'm really interested to find out more about dealing with a situation where the leadership has been different to what you expected. So, this is where sometimes the experience is people talk a great talk, but don't follow the walk and, and
2: how you may have dealt with that kind of situation. Yeah, and it's hard because I know, and, I, and I, I'll I be careful because I don't want to um, mention the organisation, but I was in a Commonwealth department and a new leader came in, new leadership, an enormous clash of values for me. And I struggled and I spoke to a mentor and I said, look, I just don't want to go to work anymore. And, you know, after 30 something years, that's not a good place to be. And the mentor for me gave me a book and it was called A Clash of Values. And I read the book and um, I'll try and get that to Helia or Lisa to be able to give you the link to it. But uh, A Clash of Values and just looking at yourself again and saying, well, what's important to me? What's my life's purpose? Why am I going to work? It's not to undermine my values. It's actually to make a contribution. And I chose to leave. I left well, and it's another life lesson for me, leave well. I spoke with uh, the boss and said, I think I need to to find somewhere else to go. I didn't say, it's because our values clash. I said, I just need to find another opportunity. I think, you know, I I just want to expand my understanding of this field. And I told him where I want to go. And he helped me. And I left well. And I've watched now that organisation. And my goodness me, I'm glad I didn't stay there. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> and I went on to have a very happy career after that. So, um, But it's just re- recognising it and recognising what's important to you, what gets you up in the morning.
0: Nikki, you've got the next question. Where are you on my screen? Ah, there you are. Thank you. Okay, if you could introduce yourself and ask your question.
1: Liz, thank you first for just such a compelling address this morning. I just found that I was hanging on your every word, and just to have your combination of humility and strength and incredible experience—it's just, yeah, really quite affected me this morning. I've worked in not-for-profit now for about twenty years. I've been on a, a medical charity board, and I'm about to start an education board. And my question is around. What we saw coming out of the army, and particularly David Morrison's stance on standards and the famous phrase, which is now often quoted in business circles, not-for-profit circles, and everywhere, "the standard you walk past is the standard you accept," it occurred to me that you probably had a ringside seat to when that was all playing out, and I'd be just be very interested to know: Have you seen cultural change? Have you seen the the sort of the widespread change that? we all felt was uh, was really called for uh, out of that time.
2: Well, oh, thanks, Nikki. But, uh, yeah, it's, it is interesting. I'm a good friend of David's and it was a very powerful and very timely speech that he gave about um, behaviours and values and they changed the army values, actually, at that time as well. And put respect. It was always courage, initiative, and teamwork as the three core values, and they added respect as their fourth value, which was a really powerful message. Culture uh, and culture change takes a long time, and the challenge is that culture can actually flip back unless you're paying attention to it. And i've I've had firsthand experience where I've seen uh, the efforts to drive a cultural change, and it needs the commitment of all of the leadership team, and it needs the commitment at every level. And it is hard. Some people use the word culture as if it's, you know something really easy to change. Well, it's not. I tried that in the Department of Veterans Affairs, change the culture. It's not easy. And as they say, culture can eat strategy for breakfast. I see really good efforts in defense to change the culture. I've seen some improvement. But I'm also a keen observer of the Royal Commission into Defence and Veteran Suicide that's still underway and I've given evidence before that Royal Commission and I still believe um, there is more that needs to be done in relation to the culture in defence. Nice way to put it.
0: Emma, you're up next. You've got two questions in here, one about values and one about identity. Introduce yourself and and ask either or both of those questions as you see fit. Thanks, Helia. And Liz, thank you for your talk. It was really great to hear. Yeah, I think we did cover the values one before. So, your point about titles being transient and the fact that you don't hold on to them and that you need to have a a clear identity really resonated with some of us. And so, I just wondered if you could talk a little bit more about how you've made those transitions when you've relinquished a title, and what you found has helped you to make those transitions.
2: Oh, thanks, Emma. And it sort of goes back, I think, to Alex's point as well. It's when you are going into a new role and you need to leave behind where you've been, and, and I'll use that example when you're no longer in a uniform, in a suit, walking into a meeting room where when you're in the uniform, everyone's silent, go silent because they know who you are they see your uniform, they know that you're the person because your name tag on all that type of thing. And then you walk into a meeting room in a new organisation that don't understand or have any experience with where you've come from, who you are. What's really important is you leave your reservations behind you or your, your view of your limitations. You have to know your subject matter. And you, when you walk into the room, you have to know who you are, why you're there and what you're bringing into that room. And how often have you gone into meetings where the chair hasn't taken control and then you'll never achieve anything? So I've had the great privilege to chair many meetings and I don't go in unprepared. I know my limitations. Yes, absolutely. But I never walk in unprepared and um, I've never allowed people to try and take control over me if you know what i mean so just being prepared going in owning the room and someone once said that to me own your own space don't let others come into your space it's yours so you're Liz Coss and you own your space you take control but you'll soon get found out if you actually haven't done your homework you know i can sit in that room as the chair and i can acknowledge i don't know everything i don't know all the answers and i leave it to the discussion to learn from that but ultimately as the chair, I'll make the decision on particular topics. So I had to learn that confidence in myself and get over that fear of not knowing everything. I don't know everything, can't know everything, but I'm not not the subject matter of everything. There are others in the room that are going to be able to contribute. I just need to make sure I tease that out and I learn from them
0: I'm going to squeeze one more in and then we'll do the others afterwards. So Leanne, you're up next. If you could introduce yourself and ask your
1: question. Thank you. Liz, just thank you so much for sharing your amazing journey. Uh, It was just really quite fascinating. You talked a little bit about connections and how connections are so important and to use your networks wisely. I was just wondering if you'd be able to kindly share what does Use Your Networks Wisely look like for you? Thanks, Leanne. My career has
2: been based on networks and building networks and, and knowing who's in your network and what they bring to help you as well well and how you can help them so it's two-way and I always am available if someone in my network just needs to tap into my experience or have a question for me to be available to them is really important but then to be able to call them if I need their advice or a favour and if I can just use the example of someone who I used to work with needed assistance in finding a new job needed to move And to be able to call someone up and say, look, I haven't done this before, I don't don't take advantage of that network, and I said, I really need this person to find another job, they're really struggling, can you help? And so I've used it wisely. I haven't gone there with everybody just saying, you know, I've got all these people that need your help. Can you take them into your department? You can't do that. When to call in a favour and when to return a favour is really important. And certainly during my military career, I looked at not only mentors, my network of colleagues, but also champions People who are there, like Sir Angus Houston, I don't know whether any of you have heard of him, but he's a wonderful human being who often coined the phrase he was a values-based leader in our Australian Defence Force, and he was a chief of Defence Force. I know not just to call on him for everything as a referee. You know, his name looks good on a CV, but I'm not going to do that to him. He'd do it but I'm not going to do that. And he was a champion for me over, over my career, um, military career. So it's just balancing it all. I think Leanne is really important and not taking advantage.
0: So Liz, the first one is from Alex Patterson and she asks, was there any particular framework or reflection that helped you understand your values that you talked about as being so key to you? What are your thoughts there?
2: Oh, it was quite a few years ago, Helia, where I learned the importance of my values when I made an enormous mistake in my military service. And it was quite public, brought into question the reputation of our Australian Defence Force. It had an enormous impact on a lot of people. And I recall the moment I recognised that I'd made the mistake, you know, they talk about fear or flight. There was no question that I was going to flight um that i had to own up straight away but anybody that uh, when they face a mistake they can sometimes feel ill and and i just remembered my mother's voice in my ear about taking the last cookie out of the cookie jar type of thing and blaming my brother and being into all heaps of trouble for trying to blame my brother and uh, that value set just sort of kicked in and i knew it i knew i had to own up i knew i had to face what Ever was going to happen. But importantly, I also knew that I needed the courage to continue the work that I was doing when I made that mistake. And I needed to deliver. And the leader of the Defence Force at the time, wonderful leader who said to me, okay, we now know what's happened. And what we now do is deal with it. And you'll be, you're required to finish the report that you're writing. So that's what you now need to focus on. And uh, you know, you learn your value set from that. And it was a real life lesson for me that that's how I can draw strength when I do face a challenge, when I do face adversity, when I do face challenge. What is that telling you? And you can you can come up with your answers by just looking in at those core values that you have.
0: Mm. So many beautiful lessons in there. So yeah, looking looking deep within, you'd reflected earlier in the response to one of the questions as well about how you always kind of encourage people to come to you when something had gone wrong, when there were failures. And I think what better, you know, showing people that that's okay is than leaning into it yourself. It's never fun, but leaning into that, yeah, yeah,
2: nice. Not being scared, not being scared and running away from it. Yeah, yeah.
0: I remember very early on in my career, one of my early bosses saying to me, she swore, so I won't do that now. But she said, look, Helia, you're going to mess up. Everyone messes up. Don't worry about that. Just let us know. Yeah. If that happens, anything can be fixed. Yeah. As long as you let us know. And it's a similar thing. Absolutely. Nikki asks a question here about, you mentioned the balance of head and heart. How does that go? Does the heart always win?
2: No, no. And it is about knowing the difference and what the head brings to a problem-solving environment and what the heart brings. I I reflect on a time here in Canberra when one of my jobs, I was responsible for our, our military training area just in Canberra, and we had a problem with kangaroos where there were just too many kangaroos for the training area and they couldn't get out because we'd fenced it all in because of safety and security reasons. And I, I recall meeting with the CEO of the RSPCA and also uh, animal science experts about the kangaroo population out there because we believed we needed to cull the kangaroos. I'm I'm an animal lover. I hate to think anything is going to happen to an animal The CEO of RSPCA is the same. I mean, he's in that job because that's what drives him. But all of the science that we were being presented told us that they were suffering. And we had a number of protests telling us that we couldn't do it. But the head had to say we need to do this because the heart is saying we need to look after them and to look after them. We need to cull them. And it was hard, but it was understanding. And when he and I sat on a stage once and we were taking questions on the, the culling program and we were both united that the science took us to where we needed to go and it, it was the only thing we could have done.
0: Oh, that's so interesting in hearing that, Liz, because I also wonder whether the heart did win in a way because, yeah, but you know, Yeah, in a different way. The
2: science led you to this is the least suffering. Yeah, and it's that balance, isn't it, Helia? It's saying, okay, heart, head, balance the two, better outcome. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's interesting. I wonder if it's neither
0: heart nor head winning. Both of them get a say and it's the balance. Yeah, nice. Okay. Yeah. And finally, you mentioned how determined you are has helped you along your journey. Where did you get that determination from? That helped you get through the tough times? Oh, it's my
2: upbringing, my childhood, that determination to succeed. But, uh, you know, reading those uh, school reports that I talked about, where teachers would say, ah, oh, she needs to imply herself more, she needs to concentrate more. And often my brother was so clever, Helia. I mean, he was an A student, proficient on the piano, he's proficient, he's a surgeon he's so clever and I always felt that I needed to prove myself that little bit more but um, but determined I'm so close to him and just our childhood growing up together we were determined we had to be determined we kept changing schools Um, we kept having to learn new things new curriculums and I remember going to school in the US and coming back to school in Australia those things in the formative years are what make you who you are and they made me determined they made me determined when I said to mum and dad I wanted to join the army they said well they're not going to accept you they said you're not going to pass that training course I wanted to prove to them that I could do it I wanted to prove to myself I could do it yep determination it just comes from within doesn't it you just want to say
0: See, I wonder. In hearing that, I wonder if your parents wanted you to be in the army all along, and then they just said, "No, no, you can't do that, Liz," because there's nothing like being told you can't do something to make you
2: really want it. It's true because I know at one point I said to to mum and dad, "Oh, I don't know whether I am going to make this year." And mum turned to me and she said, "Ah, your brother knew you wouldn't make it. There you go." <laughs> Yeah,
0: or even a bit of healthy competition. Oh, your brother would be able to do it. Oh, well, my brother can do it, but I can too. It's fascinating, isn't isn't it? wonderful? <laughs> All those beautiful lessons. And, you know, I have no doubt they will stand you in good stead in, in this next part of the journey in the boardroom. So, again, thank you so much for being with us today and for taking the time to answer the additional questions as well. We really appreciate
2: it. Thank you to you, Connector-in-Chief.
0: I hope you enjoyed the wise words of Liz Cosson both last week and this week. If you'd like to come along to future Take On Board events, just get in touch and we'll put you on the list so that you get advance notice. We have an event every couple of months and it's an opportunity to not only hear from some incredibly wise speakers, but also to meet others in the Take On Board community. Those of you who know me, my role as Connector-in-Chief of the Take On Board community is a role I take very seriously and therefore at these events, it's not just about sitting back and listening, it's about really being engaged and meeting each other. They're all run via Zoom so you can tune in from wherever you are in the world. So get in touch and we'll make sure you hear about them or you can just join the Take On Board Facebook group. Right, that's it from us today. Thanks for being here and uh, tune in next week. Thanks, folks. So that's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and being part of the Take On Board community. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women and gender diverse people together. So I invite you to join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, an active group that helps, supports and cheer squads each other. Just search Take On Board in Facebook to find us. I'd also really love it if you could do some of the other, well, podcast things. Share the podcast with someone you know who might get some value from our discussions. Subscribe if you haven't already. And well, I also really love it when people rate and review. Thanks again for being part of the Take On Board community. Now go and put these tips, tricks and advice into action so you can be your best in the boardroom.